Health and Fitness with David Hollywood in association with the Hearing Consultancy, thehearingconsultancy.ie. Hello and good evening. Obviously, good morning or afternoon if you're streaming us on podcast. Fascinating show to bring you today. We'll be meeting a brand new Midlands club from the world of field hockey. You'll hear about potentially crucial new research that could, in a meaningful way, improve the welfare of older people. We find out what in the world Woof in the Woods is. Right now, though, we're going to talk to a man who's made his name training and coaching and managing some of the best players at the biggest soccer clubs in Ireland. However, it's always been well known that his heart has belonged to the Amore County. Shane Keegan joins us on Health and Fitness this evening to talk about his grow for leash, developing players and striving for excellence. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I started by asking Shane if it meant more as a leash man to be on the ground working for the Amore County. Yeah, yeah, it is very much so, David. I suppose um, I'm right down the Earl man, so I'm I'm, I'm from the the Harland side of the county, I suppose. And uh, look, we, we as a club, we would have provided a huge amount of, of of players to the county team over the year, and and yeah, you end up kind of following the side all over the place. I can remember a, a photo up in Antrim about. 15, 20 years ago, where I think we was a, a carload of us might have been the only Egypts who took the spin off on a on a, a league for a league Sunday match. Um, so so I've I've been uh well well the soccer has I suppose been maybe where I've been more known the uh the, the GA side of things has has long 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 been a passion for me too that's for sure and I feel uh I feel very very privileged to be in a position where I can now pretty much dedicate my kind of full work and week to it, which is is a, a great position to be in to see what I can I can do to help it along. You've touched on something very interesting there, and that's the how would I put it the the cause that you get into a car and drive for hours to follow, and and, and it's something that GA kind of has to a certain unique degree that the, the county's cause. Uh, it's a real experience generator for, for GA fans, isn't it? The following the county team. Ah, it certainly is, David. I mean, to be honest with you, for a lot of people, it's 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 the key element of their life, um, and a, and a lot of. A lot of families do dictate pretty much the vast majority of their life to to uh, to the GA, be it with their club or, or or their county, or be it on the pitch, or be it in voluntary roles. I mean, it's it's a phenomenal organisation. If you were, you know, it's often said if you were, you know, if you landed here from from another planet and explained to people uh, just how this all operates in terms of the amount of time everybody is 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 given voluntarily, but to, to again to be on the field or off the field, that just wouldn't believe it. Um, and it, look, it's a phenomenal organisation. You see, again, over over the weekend, I was, you know, you're looking at the matches. I was up in Croke Park at the weekend, and you know, the, the, the you know, you just you aspire to get to the level, I suppose, that some of those teams are are operating at. You know, we're hugely invested in our GA here in Leash, without a huge return on it, I suppose. Truth be told, mm-hmm. success wise, in in recent years, we've had a a couple of decent underage sides that have given us a, a couple of exciting days out, thankfully, in the last couple of years. But, you know, when you're in Croke Park and you're you're looking at, at Galway and Limerick going toe-to-toe and you you're, you are inevitably spinning back down the road and saying, right, what what needs to happen to, to try and do something to veer us in that direction over, over the next five, ten years, you know? 
Yeah, it was certainly not the work of a day, as it were. And uh, I suppose from your perspective, that's your kind of role and that, that almost like your responsibility is taking care of the medium to longer term prospects of uh, GA in the county. Why don't you talk us through what your day to day is looking like? Because I understand now you've had your feet under under the table in this particular role uh, for a couple of weeks. What 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 is the week looking like typically? Yeah, look, it's 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 been busy. I suppose is the first thing, um, which is is a, a very very good complaint. Um, a hell of a lot of, of meetings, trying to keep meet with, with with key stakeholders, be they coaches, be they principals of schools, post primaries or primaries, um, our academy structures, talking to the people involved with those, and trying to get as many opinions on board as possible, and also trying to talk to as many people who may currently David be outside of the. The, the immediate East GA circle, but who, you know, either through my own experience of knowing them or through recommendation from others are people who people have said to me, you know what, geez, if, if you could get them involved, that'd be a real step forward. They would be a brilliant person to, to, to have involved in some capacity. And that's that's kind of been it so far, I suppose, as strategically and structurally, it's it's working with with our, our county coaching officer, Brian Quinn, um, and our, our you know, people like, like Matty Collier and that as to Okay, what are the key goals here that we are looking to hit in the short term and the long term, and how are we going to go about that? Um, and I suppose in that sense, we've got a really important meeting coming up this Tuesday evening for for all of the club coaching officers, where I'm essentially going to stand up and say, right, from what I've figured so far, I think these are the more immediate things that we can look to try and have an effect on. And I suppose firstly, get their opinion on on the things I throw out and get a bit bit of feedback from them, and then. Hopefully, after a bit of a, a conversation, get their buy-in um, on as many of the things that I'm looking to alter as possible. Because, you know, like me, me being a busy fool is absolutely pointless, David. Absolutely pointless. The only way to get anything done in in this role will be to try and enthuse as many people as possible and try and get as many people on the, or without trying to sue, without trying to sound too corny, get as get as many people on the journey kind of with you as as possible. Because that's that's the only real way to enact change, you know. It's interesting, isn't it? For all the sport in it, it's yeah, because there's people involved and communities, parishes, and so on. There's there's politics involved here, and even convincing people to to come along in a consensus way. You you have to think on how to relate to people and convince them of the right actions. I look, David. I've been involved in professional sport environments, and and the great thing about professional sport environment is because people are getting paid. You tell them what they're to do, and they have to do it. <laughs> that is absolutely not the case in a role like this. Yeah. There, people people are not getting paid. The only reason people are going to do things for you or do things with you is because they enjoy it, or they see value in it, or they feel appreciated, and and that kind of thing. You know, if if. Uh, if you think you can get away with telling people this is how it's going to be, um, you'll get absolutely nowhere. You'll get absolutely nowhere. Naturally enough, people will roll against you. Um, and that's the last thing in, in, in the world that I want if I'm going to have any kind of real input or real change um, in that sense. So it's it, it, it has to be a case of people sitting down, hearing what you're saying and saying to themselves, you know what, that makes sense. Yeah, I can see why he wants to do this. And yeah, look, I'm, I'm going to try and push that and help him push that. Be interesting um, to see how all of this unfolds from your own perspective. Um, you mentioned bringing out, uh, bringing in outside influences as being maybe a point at which uh, the game could be progressed. Would you think that's the case for Gaelic games, generally speaking? And um, that, you know, are, would it be a fair charge to say that the sport or the association has been slow to bring in ex- outside expertise, or has it been something that's been going on for quite a while? 
Ah, yeah, well, I suppose two things on that, David. I think there is there is room for that. Certainly, bringing bringing people maybe in, particularly in the area of of high performance and and psychology, um, things like you know, I was I was speaking to a guy Timmy Crow there recently who, who works for Athletics Ireland, just around kind of running mechanics and 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 maybe tapping into their knowledge on that and that sort of stuff. But to be honest with you, I suppose really when I said bringing in people from outside the immediate circle, I just mean leash GEA people who for whatever reason are not actually yeah. in a, currently giving up their time to leash GEA if that makes sense I mean we have some you know unbelievable people kind of maybe recently retired from our, our senior football setup recently retired from our senior hurling setup mm. um, where you know how much they give to the jersey as players and you're thinking geez if I, if I could get them to stay on board and give half of that level of commitment to the county again in a, an oversight role or or a mentoring role or a coaching role, you know how how fantastic would that be? Um, and it's trying to it's trying to talk to those guys and see if there's. I look, I you know I completely get it. As I say, I'm I'm in a privileged position here that that it is now that the, the the nine to five. Um, you know you're talking to people who may have incredibly busy work lives. You know successful people they have a tend to be successful people in a lot of different spheres. Um, and therefore. You're asking up their time, where in, a, in whereas they may be, you know, they may be putting phenomenal amount of time into their their day jobs as you know, CEOs of of, of companies or, or principals of schools or or all these different things that that people are involved in. And, you know, they're already massively committed in there, and you're saying, listen, on top of everything you're doing there, and on top of juggling family life, I want to know, can you give me, you know, five to ten hours a week here to tick this box, this box, and this box for me in, in terms of trying to drive on a couple of initiatives. So it is a big, big ask, and there, there will be plenty of no's, and I understand that, and there'll be plenty of roadblocks and legitimate reasons why, why certain people that you want to get involved can't get involved, but you have to keep banging on the door and try to get them on side at the same time, I believe. Sure. Hard to ask, hard not to ask all at the same time in that respect. Um, <laughs> training and work, working with the underage squads, the school teams, um, the, the go games, how do you find your uh, the experience of working with younger players, developing younger players, and generally being one of those people who has to consider the welfare of younger players going through the Gaelic game systems? Yeah, I suppose I've had two kind of experiences in that sense, David. I, I have been in the role as a GPO with, with Port Leash GA Club for, for about 15 months um, before I moved into this position. And, and that was a role I, I absolutely loved. I can really, really say I absolutely loved it. Um, that was primarily in the schools, you know, in the schools during school hours, Monday to Friday, working with, you know, I did the sums on it there one day because the population of Port Leash is exploding. And because you've got, I mean, you've got schools like like Holy Family who might have five to six of each class um, and, and school breed who might have, again, five to six of each class. Unreal. You, you would be, you would be getting close to, if we, I would generally run half hour sessions with these different classes. You'd be amazed when you add it up, you'd be getting close to, to touching on uh, involvement or uh, with, with a thousand kids over the course of a week. Um, so you wouldn't. And I suppose for me, the primary objective was to put a, a smile on as many of those faces as I possibly could. Um, because the big thing with Port Leash was that it was, you know, there was a, a big recruitment drive on. They were well aware that the, the old the old school thing of every kid finds its way to the local GA pitch, that's gone to a large extent. And it's certainly gone in an urban centre like, like Port Leash Town, where huge amount of the people living are not from traditional GA backgrounds. A lot of them may have moved into the county from, from the likes of Dublin. A lot of them may have moved into the county from, from 
African countries or from Ukraine or for various places like that. Um, and you're you're essentially the person who's tasked with giving them their first taste of what a G what being involved with the GEA is like. So there's an incredible onus on you to make sure that that they enjoy it and they've got a smile on their face and that they go away from your half hour session going, geez, I, I really, really love that. How can I go about getting more of, of, of what I've just had there? Um, so that was look, that was a hugely fulfilling role for the last um, as I say, fifteen months or so. And then I'm also in the advantageous position that I've I've got an eight year old here at home, um, who's who's sports mad in in every capacity. A handy and reference. Involved. Yes, a very very handy. He will be very quick to tell me what he enjoys and what he doesn't <laughs> enjoy, and, and what's good about my coaching and what's bad about my coaching. Um, but as I say, even though I'm a Rathdowney Earl man, we we have actually moved out to my wife's parish, so I'm at Audenburgh, Kikot, and I am now. So I've I've been with him since you know since he started nursery. So I've had kind of the the experience from under five up as far as under nine, which is where he's at now in that sense as well, which again is brilliant. And yeah. it's almost a case of when I'm looking at, right, what are we going to do for players and coaches in our county between the age of 10 and 17? Like, it's a very easy question to ask myself, David, because all I have to ask myself is, well, what would I like for Connor? You know, yeah. what, what do I want Connor's experience to be over the next eight years? And what can I do to try and influence that being as, as an enjoyable experience as, as, as possible? That's uh, fascinating. It's a good, I, I think it's great that you're able to bring uh, not only your personal GA perspective and history uh, with the games, but um, to, to be a parent and have that perspective heading into um, uh, your role and looking at the kind of things you're responsible for. It must be, it must feel like a, a, a huge insight that I don't know if, if any county board would ever actually be, you know, they'd have that to the forefront of the mind when they are selecting. But um, being a parent of a child involved in GAA, uh, is a really informative experience. Ah, look, it's it's definitely an advantage to, for me, David. There's, there's no doubt. And look, I would regularly bounce stuff off him um, and his gas when you see him. You know, so it's because of the the the, work, the line of work I'm in. We have a, a a shed full of cones and poles and and all of this kind of crack. And it's it's brilliant when sometimes I have no involvement and you look out the back window and he's got the cones and poles and he's ah, creating some sort of a mad obstacle course for him and, and all <laughs> of that kind of thing. And 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 I, I suppose even you know he is a, a huge source of ideas for me in that I would now be very very strong on on the idea of kids practicing at home. Right. Um, very, very strong. I think we can create the best coaches we want and we can try and increase contact hours with our players and all of that kind of thing. But to be honest with you, I think all of it is counter is more than counterbalanced on well, what how often does that child have a football in their hands away from their time from formal organized training? Or how often have they a hurl in their hand? Um, I think that overpowers absolutely everything else. And look, we are going to try and and sooner rather than later try and roll out a, a bit of a a home individualized home training program that 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 people can do in their own time against the wall or or with a mom or dad or something like that at home because I think that has the potential to have the biggest impact of all. You know, mm, that's a really interesting point, Shane. Um, and you've been really good with your time today. And I know you cannot be anything but busy these days. So we'll be wrapping it up shortly. But just on what you said there organized training is one thing parents are great at dropping their kids off to it and 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 ferrying them back and forth and it's a great effort uh, but then children are living such a more sedentary lifestyle with the way they process and take in entertainment and this type of thing cutting through that and getting as you say the ball and the hurl in the hand and in the back garden uh, that's uh, is that a main one of the big objectives from your perspective 
Ah, it's, it's, it's everything, David. I, I genuinely do believe that it, it, it outweighs everything else. And I suppose the key thing here is, as I say, we're, we're talking about, you know, wanting to get as much buy-in from non-traditional GEA families as possible. It's very, very easy for, for a dad who hurled all his life to pick up a hurl and show his son the correct grip and the correct mm. swing and all of that kind of thing. I understand that for a huge amount of our, our population within our county, they may not be aware of the correct way to hold a hurl or the correct way to swing a hurl. And, you know, that's a, a big one for us is, is to try and give that very base, base level of, of, of education to help them out on that front. Because, you know, OK, there may be some parents who just genuinely don't have the want or the will to get out into the back with, with their parents. But there's a hell of a lot of maybe who do have the want and the will, but maybe aren't fully sure, well, if I go out, what you know? How do I help them, or what can I work on with them, or what sort of of, of idea can I can I throw at them to, to to work on with me for the next while? So trying to help in in that sense is huge. And look, just just as we all know, just getting the kid off the couch or away from the telly or away from the the the, the, the iPad or, or or Nintendo, as is the case in our house. Um, I'll tell you one thing that I've found incredibly valuable. To be honest, David, is is these um the smart watches. Are, are the ones uh, that count yeah. the steps. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, I have to say, it, 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 it's been a fantastic thing in our house. Our, our man pretty much will refuse to go to bed until he's gone past the 20,000 <laughs> step mark any day. And I would encourage, where possible, where possible, if parents uh. could just slap one of them on, on, on their kid and say, listen, we want to see a minimum of, of kind of, certainly on a weekend day, we should be, you're well, you should be well capable of hitting 20,000 steps. That, that sort of thing, I know it's a little bit different than than what we're talking about here but I, I think it's I think it's fantastic I think they're a great a great invention so they are That's the kind of lateral thought uh, hopefully that will benefit Leash GA going forward um, Shane uh, the best luck with everything it's uh, really interesting the work that you are doing and will be doing over the course of uh, your time in this particular role uh, we wish you the best with it and uh, we'll catch up with you down the line thanks for talking to us on Health and Fitness this evening Cheers David thanks for having me on Next you'll hear about the challenge the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind are setting for you Health and Fitness with David Hollywood with the Hearing Consultancy. Book a free hearing test at our clinics in Clara, Edenderry, Kinnegad, Mullingar, Tillamore and get impartial advice on hearing aids, ear protection, tinnitus health and more. Thehearingconsultancy.ie Wolf in the Woods is running until the 26th of August this summer and apart from having a whimsical name, the cause is worthy. Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind are encouraging people to get involved in their Wolf in the Woods challenge this summer. It's in association with the Native Woodland Trust and taking place in Quilcha forests around the country. The challenge aims to raise funds to provide independence and mobility to those who are vision impaired and the families of children with autism and for every €100 raised, a tree will be planted. Between the Schlieff Blooms in Leishnoffoli and Mullochmeen in Westmeath, people in the Midlands have no shortage of opportunity to get involved. Rachel Timoney talks to Neve Wingate of Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind about what the wolf and the woods are. So Wolf in the Woods is about people taking their dogs out in the woods, going for a walk. You know, we all know the benefits of getting outside and doing a bit of exercise, you know, for your mental health and physical health. Um, and it was just a bit of a fun idea for fundraising. And, um, you know, that's what happens when you get a bunch of fundraisers in a room and you kind of all throw some ideas out. And we had the idea of the walk and then what's, what's it going to be called. And so somebody always comes up with an idea that works really well. People are allowed to set their own challenges, correct? You can, you can decide what, what, what you want to do. So um, what kind of challenges have you seen so far? So me personally, I've actually set a challenge for myself to do 50 kilometres over the period of time. 
I have to go and hijack a dog though because I don't have one at the moment. Um, so my niece's dog Poppy is going to be used uh, for those walks. But people can decide they want to do one walk in every county or one walk in every culture first in their in their own county or 100 kilometers, whatever it is. And we'll be given ideas um, over the over the period of time for different kind of challenges that people can do as well. Uh, we know there's uh, several cultivars dotted around the the Midlands region as well. So hopefully a lot of people around here will uh, take up the challenge. Um, how is it going so far uh, with the fundraising? Yeah, well, like anything, um, you know, we are doing everything we can to make sure we get as many sign-ups as possible. And there's a link on the website to where Raisley is where the page is and you can get a link through to all the forests or certainly um, coils to have so many. Uh, and it's just important for people to, you know, be realistic and, and look at the accessibility of the walks in their area as well. Because some of the some of the walks are pretty, pretty heavy going um, and some of them are pretty easy. Um, so, uh, yeah, but it's, the more we get it out there, the more people we get sign ups from. Um, and for every hundred euros that we raise, we're going to be planting a tree with the Native Woodland Trust. Um, so, you know, we're working with them. It's a natural, seems like a natural thing to do to connect with them and plant some trees at the same time so everybody benefits the native woodland trust are are your companions in this so where did where did that uh idea come from who whose idea was it to partner with this and as you said every 100 euro will equal a tree planted so where did that element of the idea come from so i was i was thinking about who could we work in partnership with you know and you start again throwing ideas out to your team when you are working together because um, the brainstorming part is really important. And um, it seemed like a really good idea to particularly go with an organization that are looking at native um, regeneration in, in the communities um, and who also use volunteers and where there was opportunities even for our volunteers to then be involved in planting trees that they may well have contributed to fundraising for. Um, and Native Woodland Trust were very interested in coming on board with us um, so it just kind of organically grew from there. What do guide dogs mean? You know, what what importance do they have in society today? Oh, it's, it's life-changing. Guide dogs, assistance dogs and our community programme dogs are life-changing for the people that are connected to them. Um, you know, the ability for someone who's maybe blind to live independently um, and confidently uh, live independently um, and live their best life. Um, for people who've got a, a child with autism, um, you know, having an assistance dog can make such a life-changing difference, not just to them as a parent and that child with autism, but their whole family. Um, you know, the ability to go out and do things as a family. And we get to hear, we're very fortunate, we get to hear amazing stories um, about the wonderful things that have happened. Um, and I've been very fortunate to meet some people who've got community dogs and assistance dogs um, just as they're about to begin their journey because I happened to be in Cork at the time and, and how excited they are about what they know is going to change in their lives. Um, so it's, it, is, it is life-changing. And uh, the relationship between the, the owner and the guide dog, how does that help? How does the development of that relationship uh, help? Well, I think anybody who has a dog themselves knows that, you know, that the connection between 
an animal and its owner can be amazingly um, amazingly wonderful. And with guide dogs in particular, it's that trust that a person can have in that dog to keep them safe, you know, to not let them walk into a big hole in the ground or off the path and into traffic and things like that. So it's an amazingly trusting relationship. And um, the, do- the dogs are just, our trainers in, in Cork are just amazing people. Um, I'm, I'm very much in awe of them and their ability to train these dogs to do the things they do. Um, but their, their learning journey doesn't stop when they leave Cork. You know, they continue to learn um, in conjunction with their new owner um, because all of the guide dog owners have different kinds of lifestyles and different skill sets are needed to, to support that. So and the dogs are continually learning, just a bit like children. And uh, tell me a little bit about the guide dog process. What kind of training do they have to go through on average? How old are the dogs before they're allowed into the world to do their job? Uh, so when, when the puppies are born, um, they're with a brood foster family. And at around 10 to 12 weeks, they go out to a puppy raising family in the community and mostly in Munster and Leinster at the moment. And um, they are with them from 10 to 12 weeks for, you know, till they're about 12 to 14 months old. Um, and at that point, they go back down to Cork. Um, they do 13 weeks of training and then they're assessed about, you know, are they going to be a guide dog? Are they going to be an assistance dog? And then 13 more weeks of training. So it's quite a full on program for the dog itself. Um, and then, you know, they're matched with somebody uh, and it's, it's not usually, you know, it's not a case of the first person on the list gets the first dog type thing. It's very much about the dog's personality, what kind of activities the person does, are they working, are they not working, you know, making sure that the dog and, and uh, human matches is, is as good as possible uh, so that it does last. Um, so yeah, it's, and then people come down when they're getting their dog, they go down to Cork. We have residential um, section of the building there, and they stay in Cork whilst they learn about their dog that they're in particular getting. And again, that's our team down in Cork who are doing that amazing work with them before they head away. And then, you know, there's support available for those people, whether they're guide dog owners, assistance dog owners, community program dogs, um, afterwards to make sure everything's going smoothly and well for them. And what is it about dogs, you know, that relationship, uh, man's best friend between humans and dogs that just makes them so ideal for this type of a job? Um, like you say, I think it's that the old adage of a man's best friend and um, their ability to, to be able to be trained. You know, we use Labradors and Retrievers predominantly because um, they're quite food driven. So they're, it makes it a little bit easier to train them than you know, maybe a gun dog who's very prey driven. Um, so yeah, it's just it's that ability to train them. And I don't think, you know, apparently pigs are as clever, uh, but I'm not sure that you could train them to be guide animals. What breed of dog is best for this type of training? What, what breed do you look for? Is there a breed? You know, are there some that you absolutely wouldn't go for? And there's some that, that you see a lot of? Well, different countries use different kinds of dogs. Um, you you know you used to see maybe a few German shepherds. Now they're a restricted breed in Ireland, so you know they're not as practical for us. And they're also quite tall. Now the average Irish person is just a bit shorter than say the average German person. 
Um, so, you know, it could get very uncomfortable with a very tall dog, unless you're also very tall. Um, whereas the Labradors kind of grow to a much more average size. Um, we always get some smaller, some bigger, but again, that's part of the, the process in kind of figuring out which dog goes to which person. Um, but we do use Labradors and Retrievers um, predominantly. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, other countries use other dogs for re different reasons, you know, um, suitability to climate, I'm sure, comes into it and things like that. But, uh, but yeah, we, we like our labs. How much exercise do you need to keep the body and mind in check? It's less than you think. You'll find out the answer on the other side of this break. Health and Fitness with David Hollywoods in association with The Hearing Consultancy with free hearing test clinics in Clara, Tullamore, Kinnegad, Mullingar Dental Clinic and now at Keen's Care Plus Pharmacy Edendary, thehearingconsultancy.ie. Now we've all known that exercise is good for the mind and exercise is good for the body. Um, the problem is it can be <laughs> a challenge to get around to it sometimes. Life, it just we become more time poor as time goes on. I'm very glad to say on Health and Fitness this evening, uh, we're discussing some research that's been published this week uh, from the University of Limerick, uh, revealing that lower levels of physical activity, maybe then we thought beforehand can actually protect against uh, depression among older adults uh, which could be really good news obviously uh, for anyone uh, moving into that category as it were but also uh, for the state maybe to figure out where it is they should go with their advice for the general public on this stuff um, author of the report Dr Eamon Lards a postdoc uh, postdoc research fellow at the University of Limerick joins us to discuss uh, the study itself. Uh, Eamon, thanks very much for taking our call on health and fitness. Oh, hello. Thanks a lot for the opportunity to explain our research to people. As I was saying, you're the author of the report. What was the aim of your study when you set out? So this is a Health Research Board Ireland funded study. Uh, the senior author is Dr. Matthew Heron, and we're using data from the Irish Longitudinal Study and Agent, the TILDA study, which probably many of your listeners could be even a part of. And we're so grateful for them for their time and effort to enable us to do this research. So we know that depression is a significant sort of risk factor for chronic disease, particularly in older adults. As you get older, the risk of depression actually increases and the risk of chronic disease also goes up. Now, there's many treatments. It can be medications and a few other things. But a sort of lifestyle medicine approach hasn't really been thought of before. And it's very, very effective. So we wanted to see what was the bare minimal dose of activity you could do that could maybe influence the risk of depression in older adults, age over 50. Mm. And this bare minimum of activity, let's cut straight to the chase on that. Uh, what did the study produce in terms of result? Uh, what, what kind of activity uh, do we need to be taking and making uh, to make, you know, to, to have an actual substantial effect, a positive effect on our mental health? Yep, so at a bare minimum, we find that 20 minutes a day for five days a week of moderate to vigorous physical activity. And this could be activity that makes you out of breath. It could be a brisk walk, um, maybe vigorous housework, um, climbing the stairs, doing gardening. It's had a significant effect on risk of depression. So there's 16% lower risk of depressive symptoms and a 43% lower odds of depression. However, the more activity you did, the greater the benefits for depression risk. So 20 minutes is the bare minimal, but the more you do, the better. Okay, and, and, and that is such a, it's a bite-sized amount of uh, time as well. So uh, for people who might be um, 
hopping a bus to work or something like that if they were uh, to, to commit to, to walking to work and back again that might be ticking that box Oh absolutely walking to work something that's getting you out of breath and uh, going to the gym going to the shops maybe walking even a brisk walk instead of taking a car just bits and pieces throughout the day to build up to 20 minutes minimal but do as much as you can and do things that you enjoy if you like running go for a run if you like cycling try and build it up throughout the day and even do it with different people. Social interactions also have a major benefit for depression risk. So to combine that with a healthy lifestyle, nutrition and activity, you're really, really reducing your odds as much as you can. Mm. And we're talking about exercise improving your mental health and we all know that exercise does obviously improve your physical health up to a certain threshold, obviously. Um, but the idea that by addressing mental health issues in this country, uh, it could have a huge general good and, and bring up the general level of health uh, physically and mentally substantially if we were to make big inroads in the future. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we know that um, sort of physical activity has major benefits for risk of disease, chronic heart disease, cognitive decline, cancer. We know it's anti-inflammatory as well. So it's a really, really sort of like free thing you can do that really will influence your health for the benefits, for the better. And from um, a post-doc perspective, you know, um, someone who's well-versed in dealing with research, uh, what was your experience on this particular study? You had access to a huge amount of data or spread over at the course of 10 years or so, I believe. Um, from a personal uh, perspective, having worked um, in uh, education or worked uh, at this level, what was it like? Yeah, no, it was such a privilege. It was such a privilege to actually to use this data. It's so rich and diverse, and our participants from Tilda are amazing. And just from them, that we can actually do this research and actually have a, maybe an, a big impact on policy. For example, this could be used by the Department of Health. It could be used by different health um, uh, sort of um, uh, well, what's the word? Um, sort of bodies across the world sure. to try and influence policy. So this could be implemented tomorrow if people wanted to do this. And and it's likely that this is the kind of data study and research that the um, state communications department and the health department might fall back on when they're formulating uh, their policy. Um, so it could in future be um, particularly important work. Dr. Eamon Lard uh, of University uh, Limerick, uh, fine work in the study and very much appreciate you talking to us on health and fitness this evening. Thank you. Stay with us. Field hockey is a brilliant sport for anyone looking to get fit and be part of a team. Chloe Farrow will bring you news of a brand new Midlands hockey club. Health and fitness with David Hollywood in association with the Hearing Consultancy. Passionate about hearing and hearing health, we use the latest technologies to identify and analyse hearing issues and provide their solutions. Book a free test on thehearingconsultancy.ie. Midlands 103 Welcome back. Abbey Leaks and Port Leash Hockey Clubs have merged to create Leash Hockey Club. We'll get the latest on the merger from the club, but first Chloe Farrell gets Susan Fingleton of Leash Hockey to go through the details of the game. Hockey is a field sport. It's played 11 sides um, on the teams, one goalie and 10 outfield players. And it's a similar formation to soccer. The teams would line out and very similar to that. Um one ball and then everyone has a hockey stick um, and then you have the goalie is padded up on the goals. 
How would it differ to other sports then? So I suppose there's ice hockey and then hurling. So they're all kind of ones with similarities, but what makes them different? Okay, so ice hockey, I suppose the main differences would be that hockey is a non-contact sport. Um, it's also a field sport, so outdoor field sport. Now, it can be played indoors in halls as well, which is becoming more popular. But generally, it's an outdoor field sport played on an astroturf pitch. Um, and it's 11 aside, so it'd be more on a team than ice hockey. Uh, then with hurling, the differences would be that you only hit the ball with one side of the stick. So in the hockey stick, has a flat side and then a curved side. So you only hit it with the flat side of the stick. And it's a foul if you hit it with the other side. Um, the ball in hockey would be harder than the slitter. Um, then you don't rise the ball um, in hockey. You rise it at a very odd time, but that you're kind of more scooping it up off the ground and it's when there are no other players near you. So it's not a dangerous place. But primarily it's hit on the ground. Okay, so you touched off there just the numbers of players and like that, the fouling if you hit the wrong side of the stick what would be the other main rules for hockey yes so um the other rules will be that you can only score a goal inside the semicircle and that semicircle runs from the end line up around the goal and back down to the other side of the goal at the end line so there's a semicircle there which is referred to as the d in hockey because it also forms the shape of a, D, a capital D, I suppose. Uh, so you can only take your shot from inside that to score a goal. If you have a shot outside of that and it goes into the goal, it's it's not deemed a, a score. Um, there are short corners in hockey. Um, so you might have seen those on telly before, uh, whereby the ball is pushed out by the attacking team from the end line to the top of the semicircle where someone would take a shot and that's a goal. Um you can't touch the ball off the foot. It's generally a free if the ball touches off your foot. Um, and then after that, um, when you're hitting the ball with the stick, you can't really rise the stick above the shoulder. So you wouldn't be able to swing it as high as you would in hurling or, say, golf. And uh, So the, ball, the, the stick swings back to shoulder height and can swing forward to shoulder height. What would be the main safety aspects then? Is there helmets involved with the kind of gum shields or what way? Would um, work? Yes, you might think there should be helmets because the ball is quite hard and people would get injured from it at the odd time. But outfield players, so the 10 outfield players, wear gum shields and shin guards. So they are your primary forms of safety. For outfield players, then the goalie is fully padded up from head to toe, so they have a helmet and then they are fully padded arms, uh, chest, thighs, legs and kickers on their feet. So they're actually allowed to kick the ball when they're defending, but they have fully padded kickers that go over their own shoes to enable them to do that. And then when there's a short corner, when you're defending a short corner, you have four defenders in the goal with the goalie and they run out against the opposition who is taking the shot. So in order to enable them to defend or assist them, I suppose, in defending, they wear face masks for that um, just to protect their face because it is a direct shot at goal and they're running out against it. So it is quite a dangerous thing to defend. So they wear those face guards for that play and then they take them off. So if 
as you said, there, there's face coverings for protection. Would there ever be the chance of a head injury because there's not a full helmet and some people can swing a bit higher? I, I know you said shoulder height is kind of the maximum, but is there ever an accident that way? Um, there could be an accident if you tackle on the wrong side. So I suppose more often than not, is if, if you're tackling in hockey, you're supposed to tackle you know, face on to the player so that you can get down low and tackle with your stick to try and dispossess the player. But if you come in on the wrong side, like some people, especially if they're coming from playing hurling previously, they might come in the wrong side. It's very possible that you could get a swing of a stick. Um, but really, it's up to yourself to come in there and tackle from the right side. So it's just a case of getting used to what is the best, best way to tackle to protect yourself. Is it a common thing to have people join that have come from playing hurling or camogie and they find it hard to change over their skills to suit hockey? Uh, no, I would say not. Um, we've had lots of people who've come from camogie and I suppose the the good thing is that camogie is primarily a summer sport whereas hockey is a winter sport. So we would have a good few players who would play both because you can play both because the seasons don't really overlap other than a small bit at the beginning and end of each season so um, yeah like the Camogie players will be very good hockey players or they would pick it up very quickly it's just a case of adapting a couple of things that you would do from Camogie so the main things would be that you can't hit the ball on both sides of your hockey stick um, and then that you can't kick the ball uh, along the ground or twitch it with your foot um, and and like I had said on the tackling just to come in on the right side but we would generally find that camogie players will pick it up very quickly um, and they would have you know they would have very strong uh, skills when it comes to hockey because they're well able to hit the ball How popular is hockey in Ireland? Um, hockey is quite popular in Ireland. Uh, we had great success with the Irish women's team back in the World Cup in 2018 where they had a great run and I think that really brought along the increase of popularity of the sport and just made it people more aware of the sport, I suppose, who weren't from a hockey background or wouldn't been, have been aware of hockey. Uh, so that gave it great publicity. Um, yeah, it's it's played in schools, it's played in clubs right across Ireland. Um, it's similar to the rugby setup in that the four provinces um, within Ireland all play hockey and anyone in those four provinces can then represent their country in hockey, the country of Ireland in hockey. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's getting more and more popular. Um, in our club, we have girls and boys in the underage, and we have only at the minute women's in senior level, but we're hoping in time to progress to the point where we would be able to have a men's team. And I believe before Leash Hockey came about, there was Port Leash Hockey Club and Abelique's Hockey Club, and you're after merging to form Leash Hockey Club. How did that come about, or can you tell me a bit about the merger? Yes, yeah, so um, we had Abelique's Hockey Club, which is an underage juvenile club, which runs up to 16 years of age or kind of uh, secondary school, really. And then the Port Leash ladies were just a ladies senior team um, playing in the Leinster League. So the two clubs were operating totally separately. Um, 
but yes, there was no juvenile club in Port Leash and there was no senior club for Abbey Leagues. So you would think there would be a more automatic um, graduation from one to the other, but we were finding that, that that wasn't the case. And then there was more and more of an overlap of people as a lot of the players in Port Leash became involved in training in the underage, as a lot of our kids are now in, in Abbey Leagues in the underage setup. So when the overlap was occurring, we just felt that it just made sense to just try and form one club between the two and really to just try and kind of solidify into one strong club with all the people involved and to try and just make hockey stronger within Leash and um, have a bigger and better club for everyone. So we decided, the two clubs decided, we've met and we've talked about it and we decided earlier this year, back in January, that we would um, go and go ahead with the amalgamation. And so yeah, over the last few months, we've had a subcommittee that have worked hard on that and in early May of this year, then um, we have ceased both clubs and we have formed Leash Hockey Club. So that now caters for players throughout Leash from the ages really of six years of age up to there is no there is no age limit at the upper end. So we have people playing, like I would think there's people playing up until late forties. So it's not a thing that you have to give up a sport at early 30s or anything and in fact we've plenty of people who've taken it up in their late 30s early 40s health and fitness with david hollywood with the hearing consultancy book a free hearing test at our clinics in clara edenderry kinnegad mullingar tillamore and get impartial advice on hearing aids ear protection tinnitus health and more the hearing consultancy.ie